Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week we are going to be taking a look at Acropolis, Twilight Inscription, and then in the discussion topic we're going to be doing our top five publishers. But before we get into any of that, Natasha has something that she wants to share with us. <laughs> what is it, Natasha? Oh, I realized that like I didn't teach my I play a lot of like normal games with my kids, like the ones that they like, like Candyland when they were little. We did a lot of memory and Uno, but I didn't play. I haven't done a good job of teaching them like the basic classic games that all kids need to know. So my son didn't know how to play Yahtzee. So I um, taught him how to play Yahtzee and I really enjoy that Yahtzee. It's, it's a fun one to play. You know, because you just have the dice and you can kind of sit on the couch and play it. So I did enjoy that. But I just got me thinking about like how much I haven't taught them since I am kind of a snob about board games and only taught them the ones (laughs) I like. So now I'm trying to go back and teach them some of the classics. Like, what do you consider classics? Like, what are you talking about when you say classics? Yahtzee is one of them, obviously. Yeah, Yahtzee, Kings in the Corner, Solitaire, um, Euchre, Spades. What is hearts. Kings in the Corner? I don't know that one. It's a silly little card game. It's like um, it's kind of like solitaire in that you have to like, you know, go every other, you know, down the line or something. I think you have to do every other color. I don't remember how to play now, but and you 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 just like put the king in the. There's like four four piles of cards, and the kings go in the corner, and then whoever I think you got to get rid of your cards first or something. I mean, it's not really worth you learning, but. I don't plan on it. I didn't plan on learning it. (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't know what it was. But yeah, because my poor kids like go to school and, you know, want to play other kids want to play games and they're like, yeah, I want to play it. They're like, you want to play Get Ticket to Ride? And the kids are like, huh? And so they have to they have to be able to play those like Clue and, and Life and, you know, games like that. Checkers. I don't play checkers with them or Connect Four. I mean, those are, yeah, it's probably for the best that you don't play those games with them, but that's, yeah. I always liked, oh, I always liked Connect Four. Um, playing it as an adult, there's a fun way to play it, and it's called Speed Connect Four, where you just play it as fast as you can. So you don't spend any time thinking, you just d- react. And the Switch game is like 30 seconds, and you just try to catch catch a mistake that your opponent made, you know? Because obviously oh, you can. It's like speed chess. You just yeah, keep going you just, until, you yeah, just play, yeah, yeah. You just play, because if you spend any time thinking about it, it's like, tic-tac-toe right like you're gonna have a stalemate every time but if you just get fast really fast so there you have it natasha doesn't like to teach her kids the regular games (laughs) i mean granted i mean i really haven't either but like my oldest doesn't uh doesn't particularly like playing games which is fine i mean it's not his thing that's cool Mm -hmm. and then my daughter honestly is kind of just grown up playing you know the my firsts and stuff like that so she's learned a lot of the you know, hobby games as opposed to some of those like crappier games. Granted, we played like Candyland and stuff like that. So we've done those types of games, mm-hmm. but you got to just play with them once. You don't want to like own it or anything. I don't recommend that because then you get stuck playing them a lot. Well, I'm a and d player, so I have enough dice to play Yahtzee. I don't need to buy that. I just need no, to download the you, rules. And, so. and you just need the app. You could you can keep score on the app and it's a fun one. My son's like, I want to play a game. I'm like, OK, let's play Yahtzee because I don't have to get up off the couch. We can play it on the coffee table. I don't have to set up the game or anything. Easy. Easy peasy. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some games, huh? All right. Let's talk about some good ones. This week, we played Acropolis, which is a tile laying game designed by uh, Jules Massoud, art by Pauline Detraz. 
published by Gigamike. In this game, players take on the role of ancient Greek architects building cities trying to receive the most wealth and glory. They will do this by acquiring tiles and strategically adding them to their city. At the start of the game, players will arrange stacks of tiles into 11 piles. The number in each stack will be based on the number of players. They will be using these tiles to create a face-up display that players will be acquiring the tile, their tiles from. Whenever there is only one tile left in the display, you flip over one of the stacks, adding it to the display. On a player's turn, they will take one of the face-up tiles and add it to their city. The first tile is always free, but if you want, you can take a tile that is further down the line, but you have to pay stone for each tile past the first. Stone is the only resource in the game, and it helps you buy tiles that you want, and it also counts for points at the end of the game. After you pick a tile, that you then add it to your city. There are almost no restrictions to placing the tile, and you can stack them on top of the other tiles you have already placed. It is important how you place them because each tile has three districts on them, and each district has different requirements to score. So for example, the blue districts will score your largest blue area, the yellow markets want to be completely by themselves, the red barracks want to be placed on the outside of the city, the purple temples want to be completely surrounded, and the green parks have zero restrictions. They can be anywhere in your city. That said, it is important to know that these only score if you've placed plazas of the corresponding color into your city. These have stars on them, and that is what you use to score. So for example, let's say you have two plazas with two stars, and then you have, a, you have 10 blue house tiles together. That would be four stars multiplied by the 10 house tiles for 40 points. One of the catches is that as you build your city up, multiple layers will increase the number of tiles that you have. So if, let's say, you have a blue sitting on a second tier, now that blue counts for two. There are also some quarries on the tiles, and if you ever cover them up, you're going to gain stone based on how many that you cover. You continue to place tiles until there's only one tile left, and you calculate how many points you've acquired from each district, and the person with the most points wins. I think what makes this game fun is how simple the gameplay is, but how many good decisions you have after you've acquired your tiles. Yeah, I think there's even good decisions on what tile to acquire. You know, you might have five tiles out in front of you. As it goes on, you might only have two. But once they get down to one, then the four more tiles come out. Now, all of a sudden, you've got choices again. So just deciding which tiles to take is interesting. And when I found out, what I found out the last time we played is you also need to pay attention to what other people. 100% you need to pay attention to what other people are doing. They're the only one taking green. You cannot let them do that. All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's take a moment. Side tangent. Grievance needs to be aired right now. So <laughs> this is not my fault. This is a hundred percent your fault. So the way this last game played out that we played, um, green tiles are the most lucrative and they are the least amount in the piles. So typically, when you get a district of a green, they're going to be like three or four stars, right? Three, and, yeah, yeah, three stars. And there's only so many green tiles that are there. So. You kind of want to get them so you're not denying people. It's kind of like in Queen Domino, those cave tiles. There's only so many, and they can score quite a few points, mm -hmm. right? Because there's no restrictions. Right. Getting just one or two is not going to do you very well. But if you can get most of them, you can do really well. 100%. So we're playing a four-player game. Natasha, to her left, is Jeremy. Okay? So Jeremy's left is our friend Danny, and then it's me, and then Natasha. Okay? Jeremy is scooping up every single green tile that comes out. Why? Because Natasha just gives it to him. Natasha isn't like 
paying attention or grabbing any of the green tiles. So then we go to score. Okay, apparently, the- I'm the only one that was supposed to take green tiles. Okay. I was focusing on making my city the way I needed it to. If we all needed to stop Jeremy, we needed to do it together. It wasn't. All I right. wasn't the only one responsible. I need emails from you people telling Natasha that it is the person. If your person to your left is specifically looking for a tile, it is your responsibility to deny them that tile. No. And the thing is, so the thing is, okay, so you have to pay stone to acquire those other tiles. So let's say green is in the fifth spot. By the time it gets to Jeremy, it's going to be in like the second spot or the first tile. So... Danny didn't have any stone to buy it. I didn't have any stone to buy it. So by the time it got to you, all you needed was like maybe one stone. Guess what? You had a ton of stone and you're just like, "Mm, no, Jeremy can have it. So then Jeremy scored like a hundred points off green. Yeah. It wasn't even close. Like the score wasn't even close. And Natasha is just like, it's not my fault that Jeremy did that. Yes, it is. A hundred percent. How you think it's mine and Danny's fault that that happened? I, I, it boggles my mind. I don't like to it pay attention my to mind. what other people are doing. I just like to focus on getting the best tiles for me. That is, I don't even have words for you. I don't even <laughs> have words for you. Because that's totally your fault. And the fact that you're trying to blame us. You're like, well, I'm not, not blaming you. I'm just saying I'm not the only one at fault yes, here. Yes, it is your fault. 100%. <laughs> and I guarantee you, anyone who's going to, like, seriously, email. Email Natasha and let her know that it's her fault. Because it is your responsibility. Because Jeremy was to your left. Just like if you were scooping up the green tiles, it was my responsibility to deny you those green tiles. All but right. you weren't. So that's how that goes. Let's I was go back scooping to the up gameplay, yellow and, green and orange and I was doing good. I thought I was going to win. And then all of a sudden, Jeremy's like 112 points on green. And I'm like, what? You're like, how did that happen? Because <laughs> you kept feeding him green. Like There was like three times where I'm like, all right, Natasha's going to grab that green tile for sure. Nope. Didn't did do you it. ever like, see my, me look over at Jeremy's? You're the one across across from him. I actually could see his tableau. Was I wasn't kitty, even looking was over kitty, there. Co- he was kitty corner from me. Mm-hmm. Was I was a, next to him. Kitty... I wasn't looking at him at all. Oh, my goodness. That is your fault. 100% your fault. All Everyone right. at the table agreed. But anyway, let's or go back game to the shenanigans at gmail.com. Yeah. Yes. Email us and let us know. 100%. If it's the Whose entire it table's responsibility or just mine. Yeah. <laughs> it's yours. 100% it's yours. <laughs> let's go back to the gameplay. Okay. So... This game, in a lot of ways, reminds me of King Domino. And you know how much I love King Domino. It has, like, almost gives me a very similar feel mm-hmm. where mechanically it's just super simple. You grab a tile and you place a tile. Like, real, you could just grab a tile and put it anywhere on your board and, it, and really you just, you'd be playing the game. But what tiles you're going to get, where are you going to put them, are you going to start stacking stuff? There's so many cool decisions to be made when building your city because one of the things that benefited jeremy too is he started stacking Mm -hmm. so he was like three tiers up by the time so that's how he got so many points with green because he was able to stack them that high Mm -hmm. whereas you know other players may only have one level and it just the the fact that you can place those tiles on top of your city and grow it higher i think really makes this game interesting if that wasn't there it wouldn't be nearly as interesting as it is yeah I think overall, it's a very simple game. It's nothing groundbreaking, nothing new, but it just feels nice. Like, the tiles are nice and thick and chunky. The art is kind of dated. It's fine. You know, it, it's functional, so it's fine. Um, nothing special about this game, but it's just 
really nice and simple and breezy and 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 fun to play. I don't know. I like the artwork actually. To to talk about that for a second, I it's simplistic. Mm-hmm. It's there's nothing like you said. There truly isn't nothing like special. It's not fantastic artwork, but I think it's functional and I think it works well. And when you're done completing your city, you're looking down, seeing all the different colors. I really like it. Yeah, it, it's functional. Um, I appreciate that all of the cities look exactly the same except for the colors. Um, so it's clean in that way. It's just it looks a little dated to me. You know, just that theme. I think the um, ancient Rome or something. Greece. Greece, yeah. But but I enjoy playing it. I've played it quite a few times now, and I'm like, ooh, you know, what am I gonna do this time? And it just, I like it. I like I like taking the free. I always like to take the free tile because I don't like to ever. Sp- you know, spend my my stone or anything and to Obviously. see what I can do with it, you know, see how mm-hmm. I can make it work. And yeah, it's fun. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Like you said, there's nothing groundbreaking about it, but it's just very like comforting in a weird way. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, just because it's something that you can just kind of sit down and play and you don't, it doesn't, it's not rules heavy, that kind of thing. I do wonder about replayability, like how how much longevity does this game have? It, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the um, I feel like the tiles are all well balanced. Like you can win with a blue strategy. That's the the easiest, lowest scoring one. But you could still definitely win with that one. Um, so as long as it's well balanced and is there isn't one obvious strategy, then then I think it'll just play over. You can play over and over again, kind of like Azul. You know, you can just play that as many times as you want. And it's just as much fun every time you play it. The replayability comes from how the tiles come out. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 more about how you dra- well I'm not gonna say draft but I don't feel like it's quite drafting, kind but that's of. basically what it is, right? So the replayability comes from drafting them differently. So once mm-hmm. you've played the game, you've seen everything, you know everything. There's nothing new to like truly r- discover. It's just gonna be how those come out and how you recreate it. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of do do your best with what you get to because you know you start off with five tiles out there. And they don't get refilled until there's only one left. Right. And you have four players, so it kind of alternates, you know, each time it's somebody else who's going to get the new uh, set of five tiles that are out. So sometimes you only have two tiles to choose from. So you really are making the best of what you get. And I like that uh, aspect of it. Well, and you're only managing one currency or resource in the game, which is stone. Mm-hmm. And it's fairly easy to get. You can just cover up a tile and qu- cover up your quarries and then gain stone that way. Mm-hmm. But if you're stone light, then you're really dependent on that first tile being a tile that you can use. Or you just kind of throw it in there and see what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. So what would you rate this game? I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm I'm also giving it a 7. It's one of those games, though. I wonder about the replayability. But one of the things I keep thinking about is like King Domino. I play a ton of that still. And there's really nothing new there. It's how the tiles come out. Mm-hmm. So... If this game can create a similar feel, I think this game could be right up there, at least for me, with those types of games. Right now, I'm giving it a seven, just based on a, a you know a few plays of it. But I can definitely see this game growing. It's something I want to pick up and kind of show my family and see what they think of it too. Mm-hmm. I like that it's only twenty minutes. It's really quick. It's fast, and that's that's usually the yeah. It's just it's a really fast game. You can get through three or four games relatively quickly, and that's something that I you know. I like doing, especially in my house, like me and my wife, we might only have like an hour to play. 
So, you know, you can get, we always go two for three to see who wins the night or whatever. But, uh, so it's always nice to be able to just, you know, be able to play games relatively quickly. I really think this is a pretty solid game. I th- I would recommend giving it a try if you like tile laying games. There's a, there's a little bit of that drafting aspect. It doesn't necessarily feel quite like drafting, but kind of more the sentry acquiring the cards kind of mechanic. Yeah, I definitely think you should give this one a go. That one is Acropolis. All right. Next up, I want to talk about Twilight Inscription. I was so excited when I heard about this game because I love Roll and Rights. So this is based on Twilight Imperium, which if you don't know, it's an it's a big epic game. It's eight hours long. Um, people make a big event out of it. Everyone who's played it seems to really like it. It's just hard to play. Neither Bob and I have played it, so I can't. We can't compare it to the original. It's not one. for lack of trying. It no. is not for lack of trying. People just don't want to commit to eight hours. It's fine, yeah, I, guess. I don't know that I'll ever play it because. If I play it with people that have already played, like I don't want to spend eight hours getting my butt kicked. What if I set the game up at my house? What if I invited you and like, okay, let's say it's you, me, Dan, Shay, you know, whatever. What maybe it's just like us, you know, Jeremy, whatever. Mm Because I don't remember how much it goes. But would you sit down and play that? If yeah, I would. I would play it if I was invited to play it. But yeah, I wouldn't put the effort into it. But I would also be nervous because well, I don't want to spend eight hours getting my butt kicked like i suck at games the first time i play it which is fine i would play the first time so that i can be good at the second time but i don't know that we'll play it a second time that's my hesitation but it's such an epic game that everybody loves that i would definitely be willing to try it just so i can say yes i played it so anyways this is an epic roll and write based off of twilight imperium um it's designed by james niffin um published by fantasy flight games it's a it's a roll and write in this game, players are trying to earn their right to the throne of Mechatol Rex. Each player starts the game with four boards and a faction card that gives them a special abilities. Uh, the game is played over a series of rounds. Each round, the speaker reveals the top card of the event card or the event deck, reads it out loud, and the players follow the instructions on the card. Then the card is discarded near the deck and a new round begins. So there's four types of event cards. Most of the cards in the event deck are strategy cards. These are going to give you the resources to spend on one of the four action boards. First, you choose what action board you want this round. Then you take whatever resources are on the card. Then the speaker rolls the dice. So the speaker of the game is just um, whoever wants to be the speaker. is just They're basically the leader of the game. They're just kind of managing the game. They're going to do all the dice rolling, so it's not going to be passed around or anything. They just do all the, the upkeep of the game. So the speaker rolls the dice and then you can spend those resources that are revealed on those dice anywhere on that same action board that you had just selected. So the four action boards, there's the navigation board where you explore space and claim systems. They give you commodities, points, um, open up planets and unlock other abilities. Then there's the expansion board. Once you unlock one of those planets, you can develop them. This will give you population, which can be a big source of points at the end of the game. You can also get commodities and unlock other abilities and additional dice. Then there's the industry board. This is your commodities board. Anytime you collect commodities, they go here. You can collect votes and trade goods, which are essentially extra wild resources you can spend on anything, anytime. And then there's the warfare board. And this is where you're kind of playing Tetris. You are spending your resources here to place the Tetris pieces, um, or rather your warships, and then just deploying them for battle. So the other type of event card you have is production. So when a production card is revealed, then you're going to receive a trade good for each trade good you have unlocked. 
Um, and again, those trade goods are wild. Then we've got the council card. The council events represent the convening of the Galactic Council. During a council event, each player votes on a pressing agenda, hoping to sway the outcome in their favor. There are three council events during the game, one in the stages uh, two, three, and four. When a council card is revealed, you'll collect votes for however um, many votes you've unlocked, and then you'll spend your votes on the agenda, and then all players will resolve the outcome of the vote. And then the fourth type of card that comes up is war card. When one of these cards is revealed, all players resolve a war against each of their neighbors. So winning a war provides the player with a valuable asset um, and losing costs them some victory points. The war is kind of neat. Um, it's kind of seven wonders-ish where you're only fighting your neighbors. So this game actually goes up to eight players, uh, which works really well because, you, you know, you've got one person rolling the dice, everyone's resolving the dice, but you're only worrying about what your neighbors are doing. What makes this game so unique is how big and epic they made this roll and write. A lot of people don't like roll and writes. They're they're fairly simple games. You know, this one is definitely bigger. I wouldn't say it's heavier, but it's definitely got a lot of iconography, a lot to manage, and there's also some inter a lot of interaction because of the war events. You know, fighting your neighbors and whatnot. You know, this game reminds me in terms of how in depth it is to something like Hadrian's Wall. It is a roll and write game, but to call it a roll and write game is almost feels disrespectful to the type of game it is because how how big of a game this is and how many decisions and how many different things are going on because there that I think that's my biggest issue is the iconography there's just so much of it mm -hmm. that it's kind of hard to like know where certain things are so for example in order to do let's say on the war warfare sheet in order to build dreadnoughts you have to have this certain icon unlocked on a different sheet mm -hmm. well sometimes you're like where where's this icon at and you'll you'll be like going through the sheets and trying to find it, and then you're like oh it's it's up here and i have to do this thing in order to get it mm -hmm. so there's a lot of manipulation amongst all the all the pieces but yeah to call this a roll and write is kind of but it it's, is a roll and write. It is true. Okay, yeah, so it we've is. we've historically viewed roll and writes like Yahtzee, right? Yahtzee yes, level. We yep. use roll. It's just like twenty minute game. That's not true. It doesn't have to be true. Roll and writes can be big and epic and complicated. You know, comparable to a Euro game or any other type of game. It doesn't need. That doesn't necessarily mean it's simple. We just haven't seen very many of them. Yeah, they're they're getting more prevalent. I think with the complexity. Again, you know, I I keep going back to something like Hadrian's Wall, but I don't even want to say this game is complicated because I don't feel like this game is super complicated. There are plenty of times where I was doing stuff and I was like, hey, am I doing this right? Just mm -hmm. because there's a lot going on on all four boards that you're trying to to manage. Whereas you flip, a, you flip a card, sweet, you have these three icons, you pick a board, you do the icons. Cool. All right. And then you roll and then you do stuff. But that, it's not that simple. It's you roll, you take them and you're like, okay. What combo do I want to try to achieve? Mm -hmm. If you like combos, this game does combos. Mm -hmm. And then you get those like free uh, dice, essentially. I forget what they're, trade goods. The trade good yet. You, so you get those free dice. So when do you spend those to like create additional things? There's a lot. And you want to unlock those extra dice so you can use those those extra dice rolls in there, you know, to get better things. And there's just a lot to manage and you can't do it all. I like that. You really need to focus on either you you can choose to do a little bit of everything or you can 
you can focus on like one or two boards that you're completing, but you're certainly not going to be able to do it all. That this is true, and you you want to try to maximize your faction's power as yep. well. Mm-hmm. You want to try to that ability. Yep. Yeah, if you can if you can incorporate your faction's power along with everything else that's going on, I think that's where ultimately you're going to be doing the best at this game. So each each board there's a there's eight boards in the game because you play up to eight people, and one side is the same for all players, and the other side is different for all players. So uh, we played either side didn't matter everyone just randomly picked a side so all of our boards were different which was really kind of fun and and then of course we had the our uh, faction special ability so it really felt unique and and it feels like each game is going to be different i don't know how different they are but it was like you could only unlock certain powers uh with with certain boards they weren't all the same they were very different which i think adds to the replayability of this game Mm -hmm. the fact that you can you have so many boards that you can flip and do different things and then in true fantasy flight fashion, you can just release additional, you know, expansions with different boards, mm-hmm. you know, just as long as they're balanced or whatever. But to me, it feels like a very classic roll and write because you're literally rolling dice, you're crossing off things. It's very combo tastic. It's just, it's like a roll and write, but four boards, right? Yes. You know, and you're, yep. you're, you're picking at the beginning of the round what board you're going to work on, but whatever you gain from that board can you can certainly cross the things off on other boards which is kind of neat you know it's really really kind of neat the two things that i do like is the fact that you pick which board you're playing in that round before you've rolled the dice mm-hmm. so you're not really sure what you're going to get and i do like that little bit of i'm just going to have to do the best i can with what i get yep you know and sometimes the icons uh might not line up exactly how you'd want or you don't take the risk of it. For example, take the navigation board. You There's three icons uh, on those dice. Two of them allow you to fly, right? Mm-hmm. One of them allows you to acquire the different planets that you've flown through. Well, if you've flown through most of the stuff, but you don't have anything to acquire, maybe you don't activate that board this round. Because if all of a sudden you roll three you know, acquire planets or whatever, well, then that doesn't do you anything. Mm -hmm. You have to be really strategic, yeah. And the other thing I like is, so there's those three additional color dice, the green, blue, and pink. Mm -hmm. Well, you assign them to a board. So the only time you activate them is when you're playing on that board. So that that board is now more powerful for you. you. So you want to do that action more because you've got a whole extra die there. And but those... you don't sometimes. Sometimes you want to do those other boards mm-hmm. so you can get bigger things for that board, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I put mine on the planet to, to explore the planets, but I didn't quite have enough planets unlocked yet. So I'm like, oh, I got to go over to the expansion board to to go out into space and to find the planets first before I can start expand the planets. Well, and each one of those dice corresponds to a specific icon. So it's only that icon that gets rolled. So one of the things I did is I attached the icon of being able to circle planets on the navigation board. I attached that one to that. So I knew regardless of what was rolled, I'd be able to acquire a planet if I needed to for different things later on. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot in that game and a lot. And the more you play, the more you're like, oh, this makes more sense. And I, can I have to plan for it? So so it definitely makes me want to keep playing it, to keep exploring it and to get better at it, because I think you're definitely going to get better over time. I agree. What if in the hierarchy of roll and rights, where does this one sit for you? 
Oh, I really like it. I love roll and rights. Um, so I'm really excited to see these heavier roll and rights. I love Hadrian's Wall. I love this one. Um, you know, I haven't played it enough to say like it's going to be my absolute favorite roll and write, but it definitely could be. Do you like the theme of it? Um, so a couple people, a couple people that we played it with, they are fans of Twilight Imperium and have played, and they kept making comments and references to the game. So I think the theme really shines. But for me, obviously, I don't know the the original game at all, but I like the space theme and I like the way it looks. Um, so I think I feel like the theme fits as far as like you're going out and exploring space, and then you you're collecting, you know, you're making it to the planet. So then you're expanding on the planets and then the war. It just all makes sense to me thematically what each what each board does. Do you think there's enough interaction in this game? Oh, or do you think for it's me, more yeah. more than enough? Like I okay. don't need to interact with people at all. And I, I probably won't do the warfare unless my faction has a really strong warfare. I don't I, I could likely ignore warfare completely and just take a minus on those points. And to do other things. my mm-hmm. That would be my one concern is for the most part, there's certain ways you interact. So you interact through the wars, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, again, very Seven, seven Wonders-esque where you're only dealing with the people on either side of you. And then there's the voting. So you're going to vote on different things. Mm-hmm. That is another form of somewhat of interaction. But aside from that, there's really not much going on between everybody. In some ways, it's very solitaire where you're just going to be doing a bunch of stuff. So if mm-hmm. you don't if people don't like super interactive games, then this is going to fall very much into that roll and write category of a lot of it's just kind of solitaire play. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're picking stuff and moving things around and grabbing this and doing that and doing, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's some objectives that you want to be the first to get to. You know, there's that. You get some extra points if you're the first one there. But that yeah, that's about it. And, that, and that's to me perfect. I love that type of interaction. Barely there. I don't want anybody coming in and ruining my plans. You don't want to have to pay attention to whether or not you need to draft the green tiles yeah, away from Jeremy. Yeah, I don't want to, have to pay attention. In fact, I didn't do that at all. I had a special ability that I could build those dreadnoughts for free or with spending votes. And I tried to do that. And I literally didn't win a single war. Like, I just barely did it enough. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just, you know, try to to just beat this one neighbor and I just I was bad at it. I wasn't paying attention to what other people were doing. I, my faction was the warring faction, so I I was I was starting to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And then the first war happened and I beat both people and then I was and then they were like, "Oh, we should probably we should probably focus on that if Bob's going to be doing it." And then the second one I only won the one side and lost the other and then it was flip-flopped or whatever, but eventually people started focusing on that just because they had to otherwise i would just keep winning mm-hmm. you know they had to deny me in some way yeah or at least make it hard for you i want you to win by barely barely working at it yeah agreed all right overall what would you rate the game i've been going back and forth on this for a little while and i think i'm going to settle in at an eight and a half. Ooh, wow that's 10. high um, it is and i've like i said 50 episodes ago 20 whatever when i was like i'm gonna flip new leaf and i if it's rolling right that's fine. And there's a lot of things I really liked about this game. And it has a lot of those combo-y kind of things going on, which I really like. I I wish there was slightly more interaction. But even then, I think it would be higher if it wasn't an iconography nightmare. Yes. Because I think that's what lowers it for me is, okay, where is this? I need this icon. Where is it? 
how do exactly I exactly what I was gonna say? How do I unlock it? Uh-huh. Where is it at? I think it'll get better with more plays, you know, and we but even then, like all the boards are different. So you're like, okay, what can I use this icon for? And you're looking all over the board. What does this icon mean? And you're looking, you know what I mean? So it's got a reference sheet and I think you'll learn it over time. But that's definitely my only complaint with the game is it's, it's, it's a big teach, you know, it's, it's a lot to learn and a lot to wrap your head around. And there's a lot of symbols on the board. Yes. And it's hard to keep, it's hard to keep track of what people are doing because you're just kind of doing your own thing, you know? So you're hoping people aren't messing up. Yeah, taking free actions with the trade goods. There's all kinds of stuff you're just kind of doing it on your own. And I would not want to play this game with somebody who's never played a lot of board games before. You know, it's definitely going to be a little a little much. Yeah. But overall, I, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. I could see, I, here's my prediction. I think that we're going to start seeing more heavier rolling rights. And I think that eventually this game will be um, outdone by other ones that'll that'll be a little bit simpler, but I'll, just as heavy. That's my prediction. But for now, this is one of the best. Yeah, it's definitely right up there. If you want crunchy rolling right. That are is... that, that are long too. Like you spend a lot of time, so like you feel like it really matters. You know, you're you're invested. And I like that. Yeah. I will say there was a point discrepancy in the game we played. There was quite a bit, actually. I think the lowest last place only had like twenty points. Mm-hmm. The winner had eighty seven. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely that discrepancy there. So newer players can are going to struggle with the iconography, I think. It's going to be like Race for the Galaxy where there's just so many different icons on different places that you're trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Like you, If you're going to play this game, I definitely recommend it. If, if it's something that interests you, then yeah, you know you're going to like it. If you're not sure, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it won't be the game for you. But, but just know going into it, like, you're going to have to put some brain power into learning it. Not any more than a heavy euro or, you know, even medium euro, I think. I don't think it's crunchier than a midway euro. It's just a lot to keep track of. It's not brain burning. You don't mm-hmm. like, you're not, your brain doesn't hurt after you're done. Yeah. It's not tight. Like, you're you're constantly getting things, which is fun. And, and you've got those trade goods, which you can use as wild, which is really helpful to help with like those dice if you're in a situation where you're like oh i can't claim any plants because i haven't branched out yet there you go you can use your wilds you can branch out then you can make good use of the dice you know so it's got some great options in there overall i really like it that is twilight inscription well that's going to wrap up the games we've been playing let's move on to recommends what do you what do you got you got anything yeah i so i finished up this this um tv show called in the dark have you heard of it it's on netflix i think it was put on by cw it's about this girl who she's blind and uh, she finds her best friend dead and nobody believes her. And so she launches into this investigation. She recruits her friends and she ends up getting into like some serious trouble with like some drug um, drug dealers and, and gets into trouble with the law. And like every episode is like this huge, like dramatic, like, oh, no, they're going to get in trouble and I'll die. And then they like wheeze a lot of it, you know, somehow. It's very like high tension, like kind of feels like a thriller, even though there's it's not really like a thriller. But I don't know. I I like I like um, good people like getting into trouble with a law. Like I like those types of stories, like good people becoming drug dealers, stuff like that, you know, because it reflects your your actual life. Is that what it is? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, no. <laughs> you know, so it's got the storyline of like 
these drug dealers and then the storyline of her and then the storyline of the caps and you've got these good caps and you've got some bad caps and it's, it's very dramatic I, I don't know that i would recommend it for everybody but i, I thought the show was well done it, i liked all the people in it a lot i thought the actors and, and everybody were really good um i thought overall i thought it was really cool and, they, and it ended and it had kind of a, a unique ending and i'm curious if anybody else has watched it and what they think because i expected the ending to go one way like i expected oh she's gonna learn a lesson and not make the same mistake and uh, i'm not gonna say anything more than that but so i'm kind of because i don't want to spoil it for you but i'm kind of curious what you think of the ending uh, if you have watched it so let me know uh that's in the dark it's on netflix it's a it was a cw show but it's one of those that if you start watching it you're gonna like watch the whole the whole thing like each season i watched it like really quickly so if you're prone to like not being able to put a show down, maybe don't start it. <laughs> binge watch it. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's how in. people. That's how people watch stuff now. Is just binge watching everything. Uh huh. I don't watch a lot of TV. Well, I don't watch a lot of TV that I want to watch. Everyone's just like, "Did you watch this show?" And I'm like, "No, nah, I don't." I I mostly like I read, and I the shows that I watch typically are going to be like Star Wars. So uh-huh. like Andor is a prime example. Andor's out. There's like three episodes and everyone's like, did you watch it yet? And I'm like, no, I'm waiting for the entire season to come out so I can just binge it in like uh-huh. a day. That's what I'm going to do. I I really enjoy watching it one episode at a time. The problem with binging is that I feel like shit about my life because I binge. I spent all day watching TV. <laughs> so I try not to watch too many shows, you know, but I still get sucked in and watch them all. It's just the new way we consume content is just by binging. <laughs> you can't that's how they're designed like they're designed yeah. they end and you're like oh no i need to find out what happens next like any good cliffhanger should right now that's going to wrap up this segment we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we are going to be discussing our top five game publishers all right we are back and it is time to discuss our top five game publishers and I got to tell you, just like the top five designers, this was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, this was really hard. What I found was a lot of publishers publish, oh, like a lot of the ones that publish a lot of my favorite games, they publish a huge range of games. So I was looking for, I was like looking for publishers that I'm like, oh, if they publish a game, I'm automatically interested in. And there really isn't any. There's a couple, but there's no publisher that's like, if they publish a game, I'm in. You know what I mean? Because they either are a small publisher and haven't done very many, and I liked most of them, but they're not very many, or they publish a ton of games that I like, but they also publish a ton of games that I don't want. It, I have a, I had a very similar feel to making this list. Was there are certain publishers that I that some of my favorite games have come from that I'm just like I'm not necessarily always interested mm-hmm. in what they're coming out with. So I approached it very similar to where if I hear they're releasing a game. I'm going to go look at it. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily going to buy it because at this point, if a publisher put makes a game, I don't automatically go buy it. Right. There there are certain designers that if they make a game, I'm going to go buy. But I tend to do a lot more research now than I used to when I first got into the hobby. So now it's more, okay, if they're releasing a game, I'm interested. Or the way I put it too is if I'm going to a convention and they have a booth, Am I going to go to their booth? Is it like, do I make a priority to make sure I hit their booth up? That's kind of how I approach this list. Let's get into it. Natasha, what is your number five? All right. My number five is Garfield Games. 
I really, really like a lot of the games that they've put out. I love the West Kingdom games, and I like the North Sea ones. Um, I love Hadrian's Wall. I love a lot of games they put out. Um, I don't love the, some of their artwork, but I love the um, West Kingdom artwork, at least. I, I really like a lot of these, and I would, I'm would i automatically interested in when, when one of these games come out. That's my number five, Garfield Games. My number five is somewhat surprising that it, they made it on this list, but that is Plaid Hat Games. Oh. I, yeah. When doing this list, I just kept thinking about like when they release a game, who am I interested in? And Plaid Hat kept coming up. They've obviously released some games that, you know, I've really liked. They originally released Dead of Winter, which they don't have the rights to anymore. But, you know, Forgotten Waters, Mice and Mystics, they have Abomination Era, Frankenstein, Summoner Wars. They they just have a ton of games that I think they put a lot of effort into it. And it, it tends to be more story driven type mm-hmm. of games which i'm i'm really starting to i seem to have migrated to really enjoying those games lately mm-hmm. so when i hear that they're coming up with something new i'm i'm interested and i want to look at it and see what it is yeah ever since colby took over the company or re- purchased it back from uh asthma day i'm just yeah i'm just interested in the type of things they're gonna do so mm-hmm. they have a very they have a very specific style and it's, it's definitely more your style than mine. I'm not a, a big fan of those style games, but they're well done. Yeah, I agree. I think especially, you know, they've started to come out with almost like kid friendly kind of stuff. Um, you know, they have a game called Stuff Fables that I'm really like interested in playing with my daughter running through that campaign. So I'm like I said, I'm interested in their stuff. So my number five, Plaid Hat Games. All right. My number four is Stonemeyer Games. So obviously I'm a huge fan of Scythe and I love Wingspan. Um, I I enjoy uh, I I enjoyed quite a bit their new version of Libertalia. I like that a lot better than the original. I love Stormmire games because even um, if I don't love the game, I think that uh, they're just beautiful games and they have got great components. I love all the bins that their their components come in. I just think their games are solid quality with beautiful artwork and i love that about them i'm always going to check them out if they come out with a new game well and jamie does a really good job of marketing his stuff because the the biggest thing is a lot of people are doing kickstarter and normally when he's starting to market something it's coming it's coming to retail within a month you know as soon as there starts being spoilers and leaks and everything like that you know the game is going to be able to be in your hands soon spoiler alert stonemeyer is not on my list it would have made my top 10, but it just, yeah, it just got squeaked out. And I think part of it is I'm right now, I'm not as interested in some of the things he's doing compared to what it was a handful of years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, if it, this was three years ago, Stonemeyer would probably be, you know, one or two. Mm-hmm. I think that it keep, continually catches my eye because just of the quality of the games, the quality of the components and whatnot that he puts out. Agreed. Jamie does thinks about everything, even the texture of the rule books. Mm-hmm. You know, there's those games that have that uh, kind of weird texture to their rule books. The fact that Jamie Stegmeyer is thinking, yeah, thinking about that specifically, knows that there's a lot of quality that they he puts into the production of the games he releases. His his game, like all of everything about his games, are nice. Like you feel like you bought this really nice product. Like you open it up, everything feels nice. You know, even like the tokens and everything are nice everything just is i don't know i just feel like you got a good value with what you bought yes that's my number four stonemeyer games 
My number four is Mind Clash Games. And this is going to be, you know, big Kickstarter company, but they've done Anachrony, they've done Tracarion, they've done quite a few games. And, and they're one of those big board game manufacturers that when they're, when a game is coming to either GameFound or Kickstarter, I'm definitely taking a look to see what the game is and what the game offers. They just, and especially with some of the premium components you do through Kickstarter and everything like that. Typically, they're very in-depth games. There's a lot of complexity, a lot of crunchy mechanics to it. So whenever they're releasing something or bringing something to Kickstarter, I'm I'm definitely interested to see what the game has to offer. And, and Natasha doesn't does not I have care. No, I have no opinions about that. <laughs> On Kickstarter or like... Yeah. That, that company, I couldn't even tell you anything about them. About Minecraft? Yeah, I just don't. Yeah, I'm not into Kickstarters. Well, even have you? They've they release stuff to retail as well. It's not like all what? just Kickstarter. Anachrony. Mm, yeah, we haven't played that. All their stuff has come. Anachrony, um, Tracarion was. Uh, there's Cereb- Cerebria, which I haven't played. Uh, Voidfall is a game I'm waiting to get, which is a big epic game. Uh, Perseverance just recently came out, so there's stuff that you can get. Mm-hmm. They're they're well, all big epic games, so they're they're hard to get to the table. A little bit, yeah, I would say so. But my number four, Mind Clash Games. My number three, and I think this one's going to be on your list, and that's CGE Checks Game Edition. Um, they have a do they just put out a ton of games that I really like. So obviously co- they put out code names. The Lost Runes of Arnak is another one. Galaxy Trucker, I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Pulsar twenty the the year that I don't ever remember. Twenty eight forty nine. Um, Yep, that one. That's the guy. <laughs> I just, I like a lot of their games that they put out. And um, yeah, a lot of them are my favorite games. Spoiler, CG's not on my list. Really? I, I don't Yeah, like no, it was on, it's, it's on the short list. It's on the, it's on the probably 10 through 6. We should steer away from the top five. I think that's the reason what makes them so hard is just the fact that it's just five, but. No, I like it because then we always would probably overlap all the same, anyways. That's probably fair. All right, my number three, and this is uh, this company in particular has really shot up for me in the last year, and that is Capstone Games. They've done Ark Nova, uh, Boone Lake. They've done a ton of different games, and they're all heavier weight Euro games, mm-hmm. and just the you know uh, Coffee Traders. Just all these games that are coming out that I really find myself enjoying and I'm gravitating towards. If I'm not pay- playing a story-driven campaign game, I'm I'm usually probably playing those crunchier Euros. And this company is just mm-hmm. producing all that, it feels like. any Anytime they're coming out with a game, and that's the thing is, four years ago, it wasn't the case. And just they've just been hitting all these... They just been they just been hot the last probably year year and a half I want to say, so now again when I know they're releasing something I'm specifically gonna look at it. Mm-hmm. Even when we went to Origins, I made sure that was one of the first booths I stopped in because I wanted to see what they had what they what they were coming up with. Yeah, I like a lot of their games too. They're definitely heavier. Is it on your list? It's probably not mm-hmm. on your list. No, mm-hmm. it could have. Yeah, it would have been on the bottom half of it for sure. So yeah, it, like I said, they've they've really started producing some good stuff. I do 
I do wonder if they're eventually just going to start overproducing. And I've seen that with publishers where they'll get a couple of good titles and then all of a sudden it feels like all they're doing is shoving games out. And hopefully that is not the case with this, this company. They just keep putting out like quality stuff. But yeah, my number three, Capstone Games. My number two is Rio Grande Games. So this is similar to Capstone in that they produce a ton that I like. But they Rio Grande typically produces a lot of midweight games. Um, and I like a lot of the weight of their games. Like the w- ones they come out, they're just in that nice sweet spot of ones that I like. They don't have the most beautiful components and most beautiful art always. But they're usually that nice like family style look to them. They, they're not dark and heavy and, and super complicated. I just like that, that genre of games. If they spent more time with artwork and making the games not look so dated, they very well could be on my list. But what is that game we played? Uh, Space Station Phoenix? Yep. Where it was mm-hmm. just, it looked drab and you really wanted to play it and I was like uh it just didn't catch me and part of it is because it just that company's overall aesthetic just feels outdated it's kind of like queen games in a lot of ways too I think it's more colorful than queen games but that's probably true but even then like queen games definitely has the you can identify the box based on how it looks mm-hmm. but it just yeah it just everything about it just seems outdated mind the artwork of of the Rio Grande games like some of the comp- components aren't great but um I I still like the overall look just because it's I, I don't know I like the colors and the um they don't feel like they're games for nerds you know what I mean it doesn't feel like they're all dark and scary or dark and fantasy I just like the that it's the the more the lighter theme and I, I don't mind I, I actually like Space Station Phoenix, the look of it, um, and I like the theme of it. The gameplay was fine. You know, I'd have to play it um, a full game of it before I could really decide if I liked it or not. But I like that that classic look to it. Yes, it, it's not super modern, but I don't think it's completely dated either. So you you made a comment that it's not a game for nerds. Do you consider yourself a nerd? I, I consider myself nerd tolerant. <laughs> what the, What does that even mean? <laughs> What does nerd tolerant mean? Means I don't mind playing really nerdy things, but I do not consider myself a nerd. I'm not into heavy into anything. Like I'm not super into Star Wars or super into D and D, but I don't mind stuff with that theme in there. It, you know, as long as I don't, as long as I don't have to know it. You know what I mean? So I like I like Star Trek. I watch almost all of it. I can't tell you any like. People who are nerds are like into it and can say, well, um, actually it's, it's like, I'm not to that level. Like I just enjoy it for what it is. I don't actually have any, like a lot of knowledge around it. I don't think having knowledge over a particular subject matter, whether, whether it be Star Trek, whatever classifies you specifically into the nerd, that what's, what makes you a nerd. It's not having the knowledge, it's sharing it. Listen, you, you are a co-host on a board game podcast. Mm-hmm. You, Natasha, are a nerd. Okay? There's uh. no way you can't say like you can't say that you're not. The fa- and you have like a board game collection, you have board game nights. Yes, it's more mainstream than it used to be and it's like cooler now to play games and it's cooler now to on my side to play D&D, you know, that kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. But you can't deny the fact that you're you're a nerd just because you do other non-nerd things like play sports, like do your softball gig <sighs> doesn't make you any less of a nerd. I love sports myself. Like as you know, I'm going to I have my NFL team that I, you know, watch, which they suck. But yeah, this year, the Detroit Lions might not be that bad. But mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Like I watch sports. I can talk to people about sports. I like sports, but I'm also uh-huh. a nerd because I play D&D. Magic the Gathering and I play board games. Yeah, I I I I don't Okay, I'm not going to deny that I'm a nerd, but I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with this. So you just say just embrace the just say Bob. But I don't like a lot I'm of the nerd. nerdy stuff. I don't like fantasy and I don't like I don't like a lot of the the dark horror stuff and That doesn't make you a nerd. Liking science fiction can make you a nerd. Yeah, I like science fiction. There you go. Even liking, that's the thing. Playing a bunch of board games can make you a nerd, you know? So the fact that- these games make me feel like I'm playing games that I could bring other people who are not into board games, and I could play a lot of these games with them. I mean, I guess. I don't know. You're a nerd. Just embrace it. It's fine. You'll be fine. (laughs) Nerd adjacent. Yeah. Something like that. Yep. Nerd adjacent. (laughs) Sure. What what are we talking? What was your number two? I forget. Uh, Real Grand Games. All right. My number two- is Eggert Spiel. They, it, in some ways, it's very similar to Natasha's Rio Grande games that they just produce these mid-weight Euros. I think they do a better job with components than, you know, Rio Grande, that type of thing. I think they do a good job with artwork. But usually if they're putting something out, it's probably going to be the weight that I'm looking for. So it makes me interested in the types of games they're going to be putting out. They, they, produce a decent amount of games and most of them i think are pretty solid games they they've published games from the italian design group that we've talked about they've published Mm -hmm. you know fitster games they've done quite a few of these so again when they're when they have a release i'm probably going to look at it and see what it is yeah you're just going to shut down now that i called you a nerd huh that's fine (laughs) nothing to contribute i I don't have a whole lot to offer but a whole a whole lot additional to say, but yeah, I agree. I, I enjoy their games as well. So my number two, Eggert Spiel. All right. My number one is um, kind of a surprise because they have my favorite artist does all of their art. Oh, <laughs> man. Clemens Franz for the win. <laughs> That's Lookout Games. So Lookout Games hires Clemens Franz appears for all of their games and all of their games <laughs> have a very distinct look to them. And he is not my favorite artist. I don't like him. However, <laughs> I like That's all of so his games. That, if they have his art on them, I will probably like that game. Isn't this Uwe Rosenberg's it is company? Uwe Rosenberg. Yes. Yeah. Uwe Rosenberg. They've got some Phil Roddicker Harding games in here. Um, but yeah, they've done everything from Bonanza to their, his newest games. Um, and I, I just love Uwe Rosenberg so much. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be in on these lookout games. They're, they pr- I pretty much like them all. And if Clemens Franz drew the art, I will probably like the game. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> You're going to hate the artwork but love the game. <laughs> I don't. Okay. I don't hate the artwork. Like, it's functional. It works. It's just, it's just so dated, you know? But it's very specific style of games. There's some comforting about the artwork. Comforting yeah. is what I'm going to okay, say. I, I know I'll probably like the game, so... <laughs> Clemens Franz, it is. <laughs> Clemens Franz for the win. 
<laughs> I love that your favorite publisher has like your least favorite artist in it. That makes me so happy. All right. That's my number one lookout games. All right. My number one uh, publisher right now is Awaken Realms. And they, yeah, they, much like Mind Clash, they do these gigantic sprawling Kickstarters worth 8 million expansions. They've done Nemesis. They've done Tainted Grail. I didn't, I haven't played Etherfields or anything like that, but Awaken Realms has these gigantic epic games. And my number one for this list was actually probably the easiest because if I hear grumblings of Awaken Realms producing a game, I'm checking it out. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm hopping on, I'm seeing what it is, seeing what it's all about because I'm interested in that game. Granted, they, their business model revolves around Kickstarter slash GameFound now, more specifically GameFound because that's their company, but it revolves around that, which... It's kind of a bummer, honestly. The whole like Kickstarter process is just kind of it's it's frustrating because you're you pledge something, you won't see it for a year and a half. So like you get excited about it, then you lose your excitement, then you're like, Oh, sweet, it's gonna ship and then it sits in port for two weeks and then so it just it that whole process is frustrating. But the company mm-hmm. itself, I'm so interested in the stuff they're coming out with because it's it's unique. It's it's creative. There's you know there's a lot of story driven aspects to it. The gameplay is usually really solid. So yeah, it was it was a no brainer for me to make Awaken Realms my number one. I know you have zero opinion about this. Yeah, probably, I have. Too. I don't. I'm no I, not zero opinion. I actively don't like them. I I'm not interested in any of their games. Um, I'm not interested in buying giant kickstarters. You legit don't like them, like legit. I mean, I don't like. I don't dislike them for existing like i just am not interested in anything they put out that's just my style one i don't like i don't do kickstarters unfortunately and just two i don't like big epic games that are story driven why not um i don't know if i haven't played any do you think you would like them if you played them um what's the closest thing that you think i would like like Ooh, i don't know because i would the mm, that's a good question well, we were gonna talk. We were talking about playing um, Gloomhaven: Jaws of the Lion, so that might be like a good start. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe. I, yeah, maybe. I, I guess I'd have to look at the mechanics of the game. Is it is it puzzly? Is it is it roll and dice kind of dungeon crawl type of thing? You know, that's really where it's gonna come down to. Sure. Okay. But I'm also not interested in buying two hundred dollar games. But I'd play them like if you bought them and you invited me to play, I I would certainly try them. I just don't think they'll be my style. They're not games I'm going to I'm going to willingly invest in because I just don't know that I'd ever play them with on my own with my friends. You know, if I'm playing with you guys like you guys already own them. So why? Why would I buy them? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's that's kind of where I where I draw the line with what games I buy. I buy games. Number one, I buy games I play with my family. You know what I mean? And I then I look at games that I really enjoy that I want to try to teach my friends. Um, if I really enjoy the game, but you guys are the only ones that I play it with, chances are you have it and I don't need to buy it. So like Twilight Inscription, you really like that game. Are you going to buy it? I don't know because I don't know that I'll I'll have a need for it. Hmm. Okay, I fair mean, enough. If, if, so Dan bought it and he, he's got it for now. If he doesn't ever bring it and I want to keep playing it, then yeah, I would pick it up. But if Dan's going to keep bringing it, I'll keep playing his copy. Plus, I like to get games. I like to get games at a deal. Like I, I like to wait and then buy them used. 
Yeah, unfortunately, Awakened Realms is is usually a is a commitment, like a financial commitment, in order to pick mm-hmm. up some of those games. But mm-hmm. yeah, I find Kickstarter is just not not much of a deal. It's pretty pricey. Plus, you play for shipping. You know, I'd rather buy a game when it comes to retail from my local game store. You know, we've got a discount there, or I buy it used. I will say, Awakened Realms typically their the value of their games will increase after Kickstarters just because mm-hmm. there are no retail releases. So once they're out of, let's say if a, uh, a store backs that Kickstarter, once it's gone, like they, they the value tends to get up. So you can usually sell the game for what you paid and maybe even potentially more. But I do see what you're saying. And, it, and it's tough to... The, the other thing I've noticed with some of the Awakened Realms style games is all-ins give you 18 million expansions Mm-hmm. When am I ever going to play those all those expansions? Yeah. You know, like it's, it just the just base game. It's, yeah. The base game itself usually is enough for what I what I like to play. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, my number one Awaken Realms. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us again next week. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook and send us your questions or comments or thoughts to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week.